Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Jackson trying to escape and run for it, and he's got it more. Lamar Jackson down the sideline. Will they give it to him? They will. Touchdown, Baltimore. And with 117 left to play on Wild Card Weekend, the Hayes in the Barn. Oh my God! I wish you guys could. I wish we had a camera in here so you could see what we're doing. We're just a bunch of <laughs> clowns in here. <laughs> How much fun is that? All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Thursday, June twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. Coming at you guys on a Thursday for the first time in a little while. My name is Jake Luke. Joined in studio, or in virtual studio, by uh, Spencer and Nathaniel Schultz. How's it going, bud? Doing well. Had this uh, pinched nerve in my neck, so I've been going through hell and high water to get rid of that, get some Motrin out, and uh, keep proceeding with that. So that's been fun, fun, fun times. About to go on vacation here uh, for the next couple weeks leading through my birthday, and ready to enjoy the true summer and get some sun sun-kissed freckles and deliciousness and all that good stuff. Speaking of your birthday, it feels like you're, get, you're getting old on me. You're just falling apart left and right. You're getting sick. You're getting pinched nerves in your neck. You're injuring shit. What's going on? Yeah, I'm just a piece of shit. I don't know. It's really been – the rails have been falling off. I, I, I also got a whoop today. Shout out PMT. You how's, got a free – Yeah, how's that been? First month. Dude, it's I, – I just got it today. So I got a – Basically, like a fake Apple Watch. I was, I was, I've always been very opposed to the Apple Watch movement. I don't know why, but I just kind of have. I uh, got one for the franchise for her birthday. She loves it. But so I'm in a fitness competition for work, and I needed something to help track and whatever. So I, I got this Wise Watch, W Y Z E. It was only like thirty dollars. Had a nine day battery life, and it gives me like my text notifications and everything. So it's actually pretty nice. I, I've only charged it one time. And then it, I noticed that the heart rate on it was like, I don't know, I'd be on the stair stepper, I'm grabbing the handles and it says I'm at 130. And then the, the watch says I'm at like 90. I was like, all right, well, this thing sucks. So I got a whoop watch, which tracks your sleep and try, it's, it's just this little band. It's not even a watch, actually. It's just like a fitness band. And it's really comfortable and lightweight. And it measures your sleep. It is interesting because it, it basically weighs your sleep to how much strain you put on your cardiovascular body and then your recovery therefore. So it kind of measures out which days are good days for you to 
go on a really long run where you run hard or weight lift really hard or do strenuous physical activity. And it kind of helps you if you're an athlete, it helps you plan out which days you want to peak or uh, I think it says uh, perform or it says get by. So like some days, you know, where you, you just need to have a busy day and you're not going to be exercising. So it helps you map out all that good stuff, uh, tracks your heart rate, it tracks your calories really accurately, apparently, and it tracks your uh, RHV, which is the variance of uh, how long your heart goes between beats, if I'm not mistaken. And that kind of is determined to use athletic cardiovascular health and all that good stuff. And uh, it's, like I said, it's really lightweight, really comfy, and I'm excited. Apparently, a lot of people said that it kind of made them stop drinking as much or drinking as much caffeine because they could tell that it essentially ruins your sleep. And this thing will be like, oh, you had you had coffee at 4 p.m. yesterday. Your sleep was a 27 out of 100. And you're like, oh. So a couple people have told me how they've kind of stopped drinking as much and it's been really good for them and they feel really healthy and happy. So I'm really excited. It has a five-day battery life. The most interesting part I think about it maybe is that the battery pack on it, like you charge the battery pack and then put the battery pack on the watch as opposed to taking it off and charging it. So pretty much like stays on your wrist for your life, which is a little weird, but I've enjoyed it. Yeah, they uh, they actually have sponsored two of my favorite podcasts, shout out No Laying Up and Circling Back, and they've like been talking about that kind of stuff for a while. And it's interesting because they partnered with the PGA Tour, and I don't know if they did this before or after this happened, but this was like peak COVID times. Uh, like peak, peak COVID, but sports were just starting to come back. PGA Tour player by the name of Nick Watney had one, and he was the first guy to test positive for COVID on the tour, like after they had reopened up, and it was this whole big thing, but like he discovered it because his whoop like detected like a his HRV or whatever was like off. So he like went to go get a test and was like, yeah, you have COVID. Yeah, it has a COVID monitoring little system in it as well. And there's like communities you can join and groups you can join, kind of like Nike Run Club a little bit. Um, and, and I read this whole thing, Patrick Mahomes has it and how he would plan his himself to peak on Sundays and like the amount of strain that he would put on his body on a Sunday was like absolutely insane. It was like, like 20 is very high, like really, really, really high. And he would have like a 22 on Sundays and it it helped him map out his recovery and things a little bit better. So I've, I've always been like a shitty sleeper. And I think that's why I have this messed up nerve now in my neck because I just woke up on Sunday and as you said, I'm old as dirt, so I slept wrong, woke up, and it hurts to turn my head. So that's where we're at. But this this whoop is going to think I'm a piece of shit. I did not exercise today. Probably not going to exercise tomorrow. So it's going to be like, all right, well, you're just a loser, man. Unfortunate. But hey, listen, I I believe that you'll you'll get back on the horse and you're going to be better than ever before with the help of whoop. Which uh, I did get into a steam room and a sauna for the first time in oh, at least since before COVID, and oh my god, it felt incredible. I could imagine. I haven't done one of those in a while. I, I low-key kind of did one today uh, when I fired up the shower after my run. Uh, just kind of let it run for a little while. I'm not sure. Sat there. Yeah, I think I was uh, brushing my teeth or something, and it, it started to really fog up, so it's always nice to do that. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's enough Whoop Talk. Sponsor the fucking pod if you want any more uh, minutes here, Whoop. We're just completely giving you a total commercial here. But uh, other than that, uh, we got a pretty good episode for you guys here today. We got a little interview um with jonah schaefer of the baltimore sun runs over well over an hour i think it's gonna be like an hour and 10 hour and 15 type thing got really deep into a ton of stuff with him on otas minicamp all that he's been seeing it was a really fun chat yeah for sure i was happy to hear you know dalen hayes is someone that that looks like they are capable of playing this ravens defense and he hit all we i mean we went down the whole run list of bozeman the receivers 
everything in between, you know, DBs and, and what this offseason is going to look like. So it was a lot of fun. Great talk with him. He he killed it. He ran through everything and really gave us a full episode. So that's that's what we got for you guys today. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it had been a while uh, since we had had him on. I think we got into this. I had him on like in the combine in 2020, like literally right before COVID went off. So it was good to get him back on for the first time in a, uh, a good long while. He had plenty to say. And uh, yeah, he was great. He's uh, he's one of my low key favorite like media personalities for the Ravens. I think for the diversity, oh, for sure. He is. He gets a hat. He's part of the meme culture. Like him and Daniel both are relatively younger guys, so they always shout out and fire off some some fun little quips and, and weird things from social media. Yeah, exactly. He's like he brings. I think kind of the film, you know, analysis sensibilities that uh, somebody like you has, but then he's also, he's on Instagram and he's like checking out the players' stories and stuff like that and keeping us into all that. And he's uh, just a generally funny, uh, pleasant guy. So it was uh, a really good chat with him. And uh, yeah, I guess we don't really have a ton for you guys on the other fronts. There wasn't a ton of news. Saw Jimmy Smith wants to be a Raven for life. That's pretty cool. We don't really have a ton on that other than that's cool. Uh, Lamar Jackson is his own agent. I think we kind of already knew that. We get into that a little bit with Jonas. He, I think, gave some really good analysis on like why that is interesting in the way that like there's no buffer between him and the organization in these negotiations. I That's something that we didn't talk about for sure. Yeah, it's a really good point by him. So uh, I guess just stay tuned for that. We get into plenty of uh, all the uh, news stuff, so we don't have to belabor on that too much. I will get into that in the chat. But I uh, guess before we get out of here, been making a point of reading the reviews. Uh, we got a new one that I thought was really especially great and heartwarming. Uh, description is or i guess the title Jonas is, just followed me back on twitter i've been following him for like a year and a half he no he didn't he, he came on the show with me to follow me back he followed <laughs> so he followed the podcast account uh i think back when we first made contact with him a couple years ago he just followed me too right before the interview so if you're listening uh, Jonas, that's funny thank you for doing that thank you for uh diving deep into that uh at long last but uh yeah so getting into the reviews for the week we got one from yeah, uh, Y-A-A-H-H-H, uh, four exclamation points from Friday. Really liked it. Uh, two stars. Um, description says clean. That's incorrect. While content is okay, the foul language F-bombs make this unsuitable for kids and unlistenable to me. So thanks a ton, Yah. I really appreciate all the support for the show. And, uh, I mean, if we can get you a free T-shirt or anything, just go ahead and reach out to me on Twitter, uh, at Jake Luke, and I'll definitely be hooking you up. Hook him up. Anything else? Anything else? No, I think I either I lagged or you lagged for a second, but that's all I got. Yeah, Lamar, I was I was happy we talked about that because again, like Ravens are about to commit their future to Lamar, and it's just like everyone, no one's talking about it. So I'm glad we got into that with Jonas a little bit towards the end. But it was a great interview. It's about an hour uh, and some change there. So we hope you guys enjoy and. Uh, Forgotten Dynasty has what two episodes left? Yep, two more to go. You got episode five coming out on Monday, and I'm putting the finishing touches on episode six. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, a good run with that. Hope you guys are really enjoying it. I've had a lot of people reach out, uh, both publicly and privately, to uh, thank me for the work on it and uh, you know, all the compliments and stuff, which has been uh, really great to kind of have some affirmations on it. And it's also great seeing people that are kind of coming to me now and saying like, I'm going to binge it on like X drive down to the, uh, the South to go to the beach or like, I'm going to save it up for a couple flights or something like that. I think it is a, a really good bingeable series. So now that it's kind of getting into the, into the meat of it where episode four came out, that was probably my favorite episode so far. Uh, I think it might be a good spot to jump in. So if you haven't given it a shot yet, go back and, uh, 
listen to the episodes labeled Forgotten Dynasties starting with one and uh, make your way up to where we're at right now, which, like I said, number five coming out on Monday. So that's been a ton of fun. Thanks for bringing that up. I almost forgot. Absolutely. And like we said, you know, we don't have a ton for you guys right now. So glad to have this interview and Forgotten Dynasty taking us kind of right before training camp. We'll probably have Vaz hop on as is tradition now to do a, and maybe Kyle as well to do a big training camp preview. And that's where we'll start to hunker down. And uh, that's going to take us into some preseason games and some good stuff like that. So uh, we're, we're chilling right now a little bit and we are happy to have this interview and Forgotten Dynasty carrying us up until training camp and we'll be getting geared up. So I hope you guys are vaxxed and waxed and staying safe and out and having fun in the sun and enjoying this summer because we didn't have much of one last year. So go get after it, get some sun on your skin, get healthy, get fit and stay good. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I guess that's that. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Keep leaving those great heartwarming reviews like the one we just got. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow the show at podcast beatdown. You can find me at Jake Luke. That is L O U Q U E. Spencer is at Ravens Four Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. Sons and four. Sons and four. Sons and four. You're not that guy, pal. Okay, trust me. You're not that guy. That's gonna go on the soundboard. Um, but yeah, uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, follow us at Be More Beatdown on the main account where we're tweeting out all our great articles from our tremendous authors that we have on offer. Uh, have yourselves a great weekend. Uh, you know, like he said, enjoy yourself, get out in the sun, enjoy your summer. And, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya. Peace out. All right. We now welcome on a, uh, very special guest. It's a friend of the show, a recurring guest. It's Jonah Schaefer of the Baltimore sun. We were just talking before we got going here that it has been, uh, quite some time, but it's good to have you make your, uh, your return here a couple days after minicamp. Jonas, how's it going, man? It's going good guys. How about yourself? Doing pretty well, doing pretty well. So uh, we wanted no to get complaints you- over here. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted to get you on for that reason. You were out at minicamp. You were out at OTAs a couple weeks prior to that. So you're in the mix out there. You're in the mix with the media. Uh, kind of, you know, I, I don't totally know what the whole scene is like there with the media, with COVID and some of the restrictions still in place. We've had some contact with uh, their PR department. And, you know, it sounds like things are still a little weird. So maybe if you want to, you want to uh, touch on a little bit of that and like, kind of what the last year and a half of the ebbs and flows of being on the Ravens beat has been like for you since we last talked, because a lot has happened. Right. I mean, as you mentioned off camera, the mini camp was the, sorry, not the, not the mini camp, the combine was the last vestige, I guess, of the pre COVID NFL because people were carrying on with their business. Like everything was normal. You know, people were going out to bars, people were, were mingling with prospects like, you know, the world's worst pandemic and gosh, a century wasn't about to hit. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward to, uh, I guess, you know, just the off season last year was all virtual. I mean, we did a, a zoom with Lamar. That was when he just kind of broke, uh, the news himself that he was going to be on the cover of Lamar. If you guys remember that, that was just like, oh, know, Madden, yeah. EA sports to the punch by gosh, like a month or two. And they didn't see. Just like, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Hey guys, I'm going to be on Madden. All right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're doing really good. Out well, no, it was too. somebody, uh, somebody like asked him, like, I don't know who it was, but whoever did is that's a true journalist with like ink under their fingernails. Cause they just like straight up asked him like, wait, it's, is it you? And he was like, yeah, like he just said, yes, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was so funny. He's the best. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, last year uh, we were out there at training camp. It's socially distanced. Everyone is wearing masks. Um, you know, we're obviously not allowed in the locker room. We don't know what the situation is going to be for that this year. Uh, for the about the first, I guess, two and a half months of the season, 
Uh, obviously, you know, it's all Zoom. Um, I'm actually traveling because I figure that, you know, travel, the expenses aren't going to be that much. You know, you can see some stuff. You can gain some advantages that, that other people won't just by being there in the stadium. Uh, I think I was the only person in the Ravens media, and that includes their in-house people who was actually on the road. Um, and then, like, you know, that, that holiday wave of COVID hits, and it's not looking all too good for the Ravens in terms of them actually, you know, making the playoffs. And obviously, I don't need to tell you guys that there's more interest in the team when they're winning. So I was just like, you know what? Everyone else at the Sun and you know, at ESPN and The Athletic has been able to carry on without being in person at these games. Might as well you know, join the party. So even when they do make it to the playoffs, you know, we're kicking it in, in, uh, at home, you know, watching the, the, the Tennessee game, the Buffalo game from home. And, you know, sure, you probably lost some stuff right, by, you know, not being able to see Lamar and how he was doing, kind of sprawled out on the field after he got hit. But for the most part, it was it was pretty manageable. I mean, you know, obviously there was this kind of pack mentality that was inescapable because you're, you don't have the option of, you know, bringing a guy aside in the locker room and talking to him. Um, you could try to do some stuff outside the, the locker room just by trying to find interesting angles. But a lot of it was, you know, the stuff that you would read on ESPN was the stuff that you would read on The Sun was the stuff that you would read on BaltimoreRavens.com. And that was just a reality of the fact that you only were talking to two or three guys a day. And if a guy said a juicy thing, you weren't going to do the you know irresponsible thing and not jump on it. So it's been interesting. It's been challenging to try to find interesting stuff that other people don't want to write. Um, but, you know, that's, I guess, what separates the, the kind of good storytellers from the average ones. Right. I felt like you did a lot of deep dives into the history of draft picks and guys, you know, getting getting in touch with their their high school coaches and people from their college program and tried to go for that aspect. So that was enjoyable to read, definitely, from a different standpoint. But with practices, you know, uh, you guys got able to get back out to the facility for minicamp and OTAs and all that good stuff. Was that, that was your first time back in a while. And what was it like finally getting back and uh, being on that side of things again to some return to normalcy? Yeah, well, I think the biggest, you know, kind of milestone in that return to normalcy is just the fact that the Ravens, and I imagine this is an NFL policy, but the Ravens said that if you were vaccinated and you had proof of that vaccination, just flash a card and you can get in without wearing a mask. Um, so that's been great just to, to not have that uh, another encumbrance, you know, in this 90 degree weather when you're out there is just be able to, to breathe freely. Um, but obviously, you know, the, the, the frustrating aspect of this, and I think this is, again, an NFL thing, you know, if you have been to the facility, you know that just kind of right around the corner from that one of the fields is that little terrace where they have all the interviews that they stream up on BaltimoreRavens.com and practice ends and we can't go there. We have to go inside. Fortunately, we're allowed back into the, the media workroom or, you know, some people go to their cars because they haven't, they don't want to go into the media workroom. But there's just like that, that glimmering far off hope that, you know, one day we could be, you know, 10 feet, 15 feet away from these guys up at the podium and not have to do the weird, awkward Zoom dance where, you know, we're, we're being called on uh, by the Ravens PR. We can just talk to these guys in person, even if we can't actually get, you know, close enough to shake their hands. So it's been nice. Um, obviously, you know, the, the NFL announcing, I guess, last week that there is going to be a, a more normal process of us being able to talk to guys in person, even if we might not be allowed in the locker room. I uh, would step forward, but I think for the most part, it's just on the guys on the team to get their shit in order. I mean, excuse my language and get vaccinated so that 
you know, we're all in a position where basically there is no fear of, of you know, COVID getting spread because it seems like for the most part, everyone in the media session is on board with, with having their vaccine. Yeah, and I hope you guys do eventually get back to a point. And uh, I guess even us, too, at some point, because we have been uh, in discussions on media passes and stuff. We've been out there before. But kind of back to that point of the the in-person press conference, it's uh, been a little uh, weird. It's not that you, it's not like your guys' fault or anything or the organizations even with the Zoom stuff. But, like, uh, you know, you watch some of them and you get, like, uh, Jerry Coleman, like, talking about his, like, side effects to the vaccine reaction and stuff like that. He's just, like, hijacking it. Like, it's, it's kind of funny to watch, like, the technical stuff. Like, you get this really buttoned up, like, really high-class organization that's, like, kind of being reduced to just, like, a whatever regular office setting is, like, having to use Zoom. I just think that's kind of a, a funny dynamic there. But as far as the way the practices are working and you, you know, you started getting back out there for OTAs. What would you say is kind of some of the first couple of things that caught your eye that was different about being out there this year compared to years prior in a football sense or otherwise? Uh, are you talking about just how practices are being run or like how we in the media are interfacing with it all or what? Like, are you I looking mean, for kind of Ravens tactical side of things? Um, I mean, whatever just jumps to mind. I mean, either football well, I mean, or how it's working for you. Guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did a, a feature on this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, but I, I would say that it's, it's tough to go to practice and not hear, you know, Keith Williams to just being kind of the, the line leader in a lot of senses. I mean, he's a guy who, if you go and look at his Twitter feed and all the videos he did when he was kind of freelancing in between the Nebraska job and what he's doing now with the Ravens, he's like a very vocal guy. I mean, he, he gets he develops a close relationship with, with these guys, and it's it's easy to see why because he's always talking. Um, you know, the, one of the first memories I have of seeing him was just like as the guys are going through a right running drill, just him yelling "run, run, run," not like a drill sergeant, but just kind of adding that level. Of intensity to practice to, to get these guys to simulate what it's going to be like, you know, come week one. So I think you know we don't really know yet if the Ravens are going to have in a, you know a league average receiving core, but I think their investment in the position, not just with draft picks, but with bringing in T. Martin, with bringing in T. Williams, or with bringing Keith Williams, is definitely a good start. And uh, I guess just kind of on an individual level, um, let's see. Uh, I mean, it's 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 crazy just how big this offensive line is. You know, it's uh, uh, to lose Al- to lose Orlando Brown and bring in Alejandro Villanueva, and as one of my you know, co- co-workers said, to have Ronnie Stanley maybe be the lightest or the tall, you know, the, the shortest guy, the little the brother of the squad at six five, <laughs> right, you know, three fifteen, three twenty. It's it's kind of wild. I mean, like uh, we're not close enough to to talk to someone like Ben Cleveland, but if you are in the right place at the right time, you can see the vascularity on that dude's cast. And it is just like, holy shit. Like, uh, I know. How do you weigh that much and are ripped? I know. This it's, is getting into some, I, uh, some Johnny drama territory with the, uh, the, calf, <laughs> the calf talk, but uh, I like it. Got some nice calves, bro. <laughs> he, he's just a, a big dude. Uh, so, I mean, it is the, the kind of offensive line that I think Greg Roman probably goes to sleep uh, dreaming about. I mean, he's just a smash-mouth dude, and this is a smash-mouth offensive line. You know, I guess you kind of it, – it's always strange to me uh, when you look at, like, the draft write-ups for centers and you see a guy who's 6'3", and you see someone, like, describing them as not being, you know, ideal size for a center. And then you see, like, oh, yeah, someone could be Bradley Bozeman's size and potentially do a really, really good job and have, quote, ideal side because he is, you know, 6'5", 300. So uh, it, it is just a well-built, well-built, you know, 
well-conditioned group. Obviously, we don't know how well they're going to you know, handle stunts and blitzes and twists and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they certainly passed the eye test. And I think at this point in the season, you know, that's really all you can say about them. Bringing a lot more veterans and, you know, the Ravens kind of had to hide some of those smaller Matt Skura types over the years and some guys like that. Um, so that's very good to hear. Very interesting for sure. One of the hot topics that isn't always really on everyone's mind, you know, you already touched on T Martin, Keith Williams is you were tweeting some videos of Rob Ryan running some drills and, uh, being out of practice the limited amount of times that I have, I have not seen anything like what Rob Ryan has been doing at those Ravens practices. And what is, you know, one of the general senses that you get around all the new additions and, and what they'll be bringing to the team and, and guys like Rob Ryan and what he's been doing? Uh, well, we haven't gotten the chance to talk to a lot of the new coaches yet. I uh, haven't talked to Rob Ryan, haven't talked to Keith Williams, haven't talked to some of the other guys. I think really the only first-year coach that we've got a chance to talk to was T. Martin. Right. Um, so it's just been kind of looking for, looking on from afar. But, uh, I mean, like Patrick Queen seems like he really loves, uh, you know, Rob Ryan. It's definitely a little bit of a, a changeover from, from what they had last year. But he's just a high-energy guy, always talking. It seems like he's already – you know, best friends with Wade Martindale, and obviously those guys go way back. Uh, so those, you know, are going to be probably thickest thieves uh, just all season long. Uh, but but it was interesting just to see them manipulate some of the drills and some of the tools that they have at their disposal to, to do some of the things that I was tweeting out. Like, you know, I don't really know, you know, if you can make a compelling argument that you should be spending a lot of time doing the kind of trap simulation that, that they were doing, just, you know, getting ready and, you know, changing positions at the last uh, possible moment to to take on a you know a, a huge sled that's probably I don't know like 500 pounds of force. I mean, just a complete guesstimate on, on my end. But it is interesting because um, you know someone like Patrick Queen could certainly use the help and just uh, being able to take on those blocks and, and shed you know some of these 300 pounders who are going to be coming at him. So uh, I think for for those guys, it's probably more of the mental processing that they need. Uh, but anything you can do at this point in the season uh, is better than what they could do last season, which, which was nothing. So uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what those guys uh, you know, can do. But in terms of just those coaches who have stood out because of how big their personalities are, I think you have to put Rob Ryan and Keith Williams up on those lists. Yeah, it's definitely kind of funny because I think Rob and Rex, like their reputations kind of precede themselves a little bit. And like they're kind of almost like these larger than life caricatures that you don't really think about like, the technical side of what they do well as a coach. So I thought that was a really good job by you to grab that clip and kind of put it out there because it provided a little bit more context, both visual and just in, you know, a procedural side as to how they're running things. So kudos to you on that, but jumping into the players, you know, this is one thing that you're going to know just as well as us. It's, you know, everyone wants to hear about these new additions first and foremost. So starting out with the rookies, who's a rookie that's been as good or better than advertised to you. And then maybe a rookie that you're hoping to see more from when training camp opens up. I think just in terms of meeting and surpassing expectations, it's probably Dalen Hayes just because we like, to be honest, when they drafted him and I looked at his NFL.com, right. If I was like, uh, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like, you know, he didn't have huge sack production at, at Notre Dame, uh, injury history, but he comes in in rookie minicamp and he's just kicking guys' asses. And he, he gets to OTAs and he gets to minicamp and it's obviously not as dominant, but he still puts in a couple of good pass reps, pass rush reps every few, every few plays. And I mean, it's tough for me to say that a guy like him was better than 
Adafi Owe because, I mean, if you guys are out of these practices, Wink Montel does not give a F about, like, you know, protecting the mental health of these quarterbacks. He's sending five, six guys every single play. You know, he, he wants to get these. He wants to end he, reps. He wants reps to get shut down. Yeah, he cares more about having his defense prepare for what they're going to do in 2021 than what, like, Lamar or, you know, Trace or Tyler might face in 21. I mean, that's just, that's just the kind of coach that he is. So, you know, whether a guy gets home or not, it's tough to tell whether it was, like, his, you know, responsibility doing the right thing or just the FD offense screwed up and that guy was a free runner. Uh, but still, I think Hayes had a couple really impressive reps. Uh, Adafi Owe, you know, he, he just stands out in drills because of how big and strong he is. Uh, interested in just kind of seeing how he does with, with being more explosive on that snap because that was, you know, some kind of concern that I had just looking at his reps from, from last year. And then on the offensive side, I mean, we didn't get a whole lot of uh, looks at Rashad Bateman. But he is just a smooth route runner, man. I mean, to, to kind of match up what you see in these workouts that he posts on Instagram and stuff like that with, with what he actually can do on the field and where he can line up, it, it's really, really impressive. So uh, I don't know exactly, like, where his best position is going to be in 2021. Um, he, he was so good as an outside receiver at Minnesota two years ago. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's where the Ravens see Hollywood being better for, for this coming year. But... I think he can run any kind of route in the book and he can line up everywhere. So it'll be interesting. And I'm really curious to see more of what we saw from him this year because it was disappointing that he had, you know, the, the, the there was the muscle injury or the, the muscle soreness one day. And then there was the, you know, the, the illness the second day of minicamp or the first day of minicamp. So um, I'm really excited to see just what he looks like come training camp because it might be a situation where, you know, he's just the most dominant receiver on the field some days. And that's a, a really exciting thought for the Ravens, I'm sure. Absolutely. And as far as the free agents, obviously we, you know, aren't able to get a great look at Zeitler or Villanueva all the way, but you can see them working through drills and kind of their confidence. And of course, Sammy Watkins has been tearing it up as you have written about and everything. So what have been your thoughts on him and, and what do you see from some of these other free agents, these veteran additions aside from the rookies? Yeah, I think Villanueva has been impressive just by the fact that he hasn't looked out of place. I mean, I think if he comes in and, you know, we aren't talking about the fact that he's played like five left tackle snaps since 2015. That is going to be a huge win for the Ravens because to hear someone like Panay Sewell, who is in his athletic prime, you would think would be able to kind of handle any basically any changes to the to his environment, uh, like as at any point in his career, basically say like, oh yeah, moving from this side of the, the offense, the other side of the offense is a huge inconvenience, going to be a huge challenge. Like, I would imagine that it's going to be at least two times harder for someone like Villanueva, who is not in his athletic prime and who has been doing this for so long on the left side. But to his credit, you know, he didn't really look like he had two left feet out there. So um, I, you know, I asked uh, Bradley Bozeman about him on many camp and he just kind of gave a, a general pat answer, which was a little disappointing because, um, you know, Maybe it didn't really seem like he, he was that engaged with the question, but I, I think, you know, Illinois was a, obviously comes with that military background of there is no challenge that's too big for me. Um, obviously, you know, every NFL player has that kind of mentality, but I think it's a good sign that we aren't talking about, man, what a disaster, you know, Illinois was going to be uh, this year. So if he can be a guy who can just, you know, be a solid force, 
I think, you know, having Lamar Jackson as quarterback does a lot so much for, for these tackles because basically, you know, who's going to dare speed rush against Lamar Jackson and open up that hole. Especially on that side. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but with Sammy Watkins, he, he, to be honest, he did not have a great start. Um, he, he skipped that first week of OTAs. I remember seeing on Instagram uh, that day of open practice that he had you know, posted some story from like a golf range or something. So I was like, oh, God, what have the Ravens gotten themselves into? Uh, but then he shows up uh, for that second week of OTAs. He drops a couple passes, but he starts to you know find a groove. The next week, he's catching just a couple fastballs from Lamar, who's a guy who's you know, he's probably not caught a whole lot of passes in his career up to that point. From and then you know fast forward to, to minicamp, and uh, even though Lamar had a couple picks that first day, you know uh, it was Sammy Watkins coming down with the the big catches downfield, and you get to that second day, first play of eleven all elevens, he's you know running a go route down the left sideline. He catches it over Marlon Humphrey for like I think a 65-yard touchdown or whatever it would have been. Uh, you know, I think three plays later he catches like the exact same kind of play. Uh, I think I had him catching you know like four passes, four or five passes, and all but one of them would have been like a 15 or 20 plus yard catch. So um, you know, I think it was pretty telling that when Lamar was taught was asked about Sammy, he of course mentioned his size and just the catch radius. But like he had to kind of catch himself from saying that that uh, that Sammy was as fast as Hollywood Brown because you know who's as fast as, as Hollywood Brown. But I, I thought it was telling that his play speed is such that you know he basically had to you know, deliberate for for half second. Well, might he be as fast as Hollywood Brown? Obviously, he's not. But I, I thought it was pretty telling that he he moved so well out there that um, you know he was kind of raising those questions just by by well by, by how well he played. Yeah, the, uh, the Sammy Watkins, total non sequitur, but the Sammy Watkins anecdote that just lives rent-free in my head is when he said that he gets hurt a lot because he practices too hard, which just reminds me of the Michael Scott, I work too hard, I care too much, and I sometimes get too invested in my job. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, he's, he's a funny character. If you follow him on Twitter, which like I'm sure you do, like he's, he's got some funny uh, interactions on there. But I mean, looking at the wide receiver position, just in general, like I think one of the really interesting camp battles it's kind of that lower half of the wide receiver depth chart. You know, you got guys yeah. like DuVernay, Boykin, a lot of those guys. So if the season were to start tomorrow, which of those guys fighting for a spot in that position do you think would be on the team? Man, it's tough to say. Uh, I know some reporters are kind of prickly about, like, saying who guy, like which guys are on the first team or second team. I'm not really because, first of all, it's, it's friggin' minicamp and also – I don't think there's anything tactical by saying like they're they're rotating reps. It's you know I know they are. I mean exactly. So first day of minicamp, it was uh, like Hollywood on the outside, uh, you know Watkins on the other side, and it was Prochet, you know, starting inside. I I think that might have been the day. Again, my day's confused, but one of them obviously Bateman was not. But I think they're they're mainly training him as as an outside receiver, at least for that portion of camp. So that was pretty telling to me that that crochet was that high in their estimation, or for that day of wanting to see how things work, that that he was their top guy as a slot receiver. So it was that was kind of like, huh, that was that was pretty eye opening. Um, but man, like there there's just so many guys that they've invested so much in, and are you going to keep a guy like crochet? who probably 
at this point, he's not the favorite to be either the punt returner or the kick returner. And let's say, you know, Bateman becomes their, their top slot guy. Uh, is, is he going to jump someone like Duvernay for an outright roster spot? Probably not. Uh, is Miles Boykin for, you know, as much as he, uh, you know, can kind of be disappointing. Is he going to lose a roster spot um, with, with all everything he contributes, um, not only as a blocker, potentially special teams. They don't really have a lot of just big, tall dudes who could be, could be red zone threats. Um, we saw him kind of use that that frame as there as a red zone target for Lamar last season. So they seem to really like Boykin on on punt return or as a rusher as well too. He's he's got a ton of reps there over the last two years. Right, and you, you can kind of make the same argument for why someone like Justice Hill would is kind of a, I think at this point more of a sure thing right. to make the roster than than to be on the bubble because you know the great Edgar Allen on his YouTube account put up like a six minute video uh, maybe a week or two ago, just basically showing everything that Justice Hill does well as a gunner, which is, which is a heck of a whole lot. Uh, right. So, I mean, I don't really know, I guess, I, I mean, I think the safe money is on the Ravens keeping six receivers at this point. So you have, you know, Hollywood, you have Watkins, you have Bateman, you have Duvernay, you have, I, well, I guess, let's say Boykin, and then, I mean, I guess it's Wallace, but that that means Perche doesn't make the team. Uh, that, that that cuts out. It wouldn't be Shea. We also, you know, an IR and a little IR stash and and some, sure. some winks and some nods and some magic wouldn't be out of the question. But it's it's just but, so but, damn tough. But that that totally you know discounts the possibility of someone like you know Jalen Moore, who was really impressive uh, in camp uh, or in mini camp. Or Benjamin Victor, who you know everyone was talking about after that second day, but really hadn't done a whole lot, at least in my appraisal before that. So it's it's going to be tough. I mean, I just don't see the Ravens. You know, if they keep like three quarterbacks on the roster, I don't think you can keep seven wide receivers on that initial fifty-three. So it's tough, man. I mean, like I would hate to see them stash someone like Prochet. But that just might be what they have to do to, to make the, the roster math work. Uh, but either way, I mean, I, I think they're going to feel much better about that group of guys than they did last year when we were talking about, you know, is Chris Moore going to is Chris Moore going to make the fifty three? Another hot topic on that side of the ball, you know, obviously the line and it's Bradley Bozeman's transition to center and the center position we had kind of alluded to earlier. You know, you've had guys like Macari, Skura, uh, Tristan Colon Castillo, and of those three, I mean, maybe TCC is the biggest guy, but those were finesse, you know, tinier guys that could move really well. And now Bozeman, as you mentioned previously, bringing that ideal center size, you know, is one of the bigger-ish probably centers in the league starting week one. Do you feel that he's just jovial about that position and he anticipated playing in the NFL at center more so and he's, he's just ready to get back to it? Or what are the what are the vibes you're getting overall from how the way the team has talked about it and he's spoken about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the quote that I probably use the most, it just in describing him and thankful to, to John Harbaugh for saying it was just, you know, he, he looks really natural out there. And I, I think you're going to see that that quote, you know, recirculate a lot uh, all the way up until the start of training camp because uh, that's what the Ravens need. They, can, they can't at this point in the offensive line's development uh, settle for someone who looks like a work in progress. I mean, uh, Matt's, you know, Matt Skur was obviously a center uh, naturally, uh, but by trade, uh, Patrick McCarry was, was someone who had played left tackle at, at, or, you know, 
left hand, right tackle, I think at, at Cal. Um, and they kind of forced him in to do that. And they saw the consequences of, of moving him inside. So, you know, Bozeman's a guy who obviously played uh, at that center position at Alabama, did a great job at, at uh, I think he only played guard sparingly, you know, in high school and through college. So uh, the best thing that you could say about his offseason work was that there weren't a whole lot of ducks out there just in terms of snaps. I mean, he, he did a really good job of, of getting it out uh, on time uh, to Lamar. Um, no real nightmare reprisals that we saw from, from Buffalo. Uh, so he did, I think, everything that was asked of him. I mean, there were – a handful of pre-snap penalties, you know, I, I can say that, but it, it was tough to assign blame, whether it was him holding on to the ball too long or other guys just, you know, not knowing that the snap count or the right kind of way. So I'm sure they'll get that all cleared up. I mean, he's just a, you know, a, a guy with football intelligence pouring out of every, you know, ounce of him. Um, you know, that was the, I, th- I think for all of the things that you could hold against him coming out of the draft or coming to the NFL out of the draft, you know, him not having the football mind that you need to to process things and to, to, to line things up pre-snap, I think that's always been a strength of his. So I think the Ravens have, uh, they can feel pretty confident in, in where he is. I don't think John Harbaugh would have come out and said, you know, this is our this is our starting center as early in camp as they did without being pretty confident in where things were. So uh, I think they, they, they must feel pretty good about where things stand. Obviously, all it takes is a couple of bad snaps for people to, to raise hackles and, and say, you know, is this really the guy that, that we want? But at this point in the process, I mean, who else are you going to go to? <laughs> he's clearly their best option. And uh, he's has that experience in the system, which I think can't be discounted. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's any kind of controversy possible, at that, honestly, at, at this point and, and when, how close we are to the start of the season. Yeah, that's good to hear. And another position that kind of seems set as well, uh, maybe a little bit of uncertainty is tight end. You got the health of uh, Boyle kind of in question a little bit. We'll see how he looks. Uh, but kind of curious about the guys because, you know, Boyle and Andrews, you know, that's one and two interchangeably. And I'm not sure how much you've gotten to see yet of Josh Oliver or Ben Mason, but they seem like really different players that are ostensibly going to be playing the same position. You know, they drafted Mason, who was a fullback, immediately listed at tight end. If you've seen any of those guys, how would you kind of compare and contrast their playing styles? Because it seems like kind of night and day. Yeah, I, I, Oliver spent, he had a bunch of first-team reps uh, during minicamp, which I think you know, it kind of tells you where he is in the packing order. Um, obviously, you know, if Ricard were healthy, that might not have been the case. If Boyle were healthy, that probably definitely wouldn't have been the case. Uh, but those guys are still working their way back. And, you know, obviously Boyle with, with how he plays uh, and just the force that he exerts every time he tries to take out a guy uh, on those knees, I'm, I'm hoping that he can, you know, withstand the full 17-game season. Uh, but I think of the guys who are fighting for that third tight end spot, um, if we're not including – Mason, just for the, the sake of this hypothetical, I think Oliver's probably the guy, the leader in the clubhouse right now, made a bunch of good grabs, um, seems more polished than someone like Eli Wolf. He's obviously been more available than, than uh, Jake Breland, who, you know, uh, God help him, I mean, just cannot see the field. And it, it's kind of been frustrating because I remember during the pre-Jeff process last year, you know, there were clips of him working out and doing kind of combine drills, but fast forward, I mean, I guess basically a year, we're still not at the point where he's been cleared to, to even go out and practice, which is a disappointment after 
you know, everything you put on tape at, at Oregon. So hoping that he can be out there and maybe you know, add a nice little element to the mix there. But, uh, you yeah, know, so I think, I think, you know, Oliver, he's maybe not the kind of third round fringe star potential, like, you know, the, like Jacksonville, uh, maybe imagined when I drafted him, but he probably looks better than Tim Tebow, which is uh, at this point, I think a, a safe comparison. Uh, you know, he's, he's an athletic guy, big frame. Um, we don't really know yet how good a blocker he is, which I think is going to be a huge factor for, you know, for Greg Roman when he's helping to, you know, devise what the depth chart might look like. There's just not a whole lot of run blocking, honestly, during the, these offseason workouts. And that's right. where someone like, you know, Eric Tomlinson can really shine. And to kind of pivot to the second part of your question, it's also where someone like Ben Mason can really shine because that was his bread and butter at Michigan, just, you know, lining up in that I formation a lot of times at Michigan and just taking out the Minnesota linebackers and the Penn State linebackers of the world. Um, I, I think it was Jess Rebeck who asked John Harbaugh, you know, basically if he expects the, the environment of training camp to be more kind of conducive to letting uh, Ben Mason do Ben Mason things. And I think John Harbaugh said, yeah, it is because, uh, you know, he's kind of frankly looked a little bit stiff as a receiver at times. I think he's had a couple of drops. Uh, but what did he have at Michigan? Like three receptions over four years. Um, you know, I don't think that's a death sentence for him and, and, and his roster chances. I mean, obviously, Power Card went from being, you know, who he was in college to a guy who could, you know, be a reliable enough receiver out of the flat. For Lamar Jackson, so and then I think Ben Mason is probably more athletic than Pat Ricard in terms of just getting out in space and maybe making people miss. Um, so I don't really know yet how to kind of handicap what his roster chances might be because are you talking about having three tight ends and two fullbacks uh, for for this roster? I mean, it's certainly a unique roster, but Greg Rome has also made a point to say that it's like a you know that the Ravens even though they had a lot more runs than they did passes last year, they still were technically a pass first team just by the amount of dropbacks that they had. So it's tough to kind of just make sense of all the distance between this is what they've done well, this is what they want to do well, but this is who they drafted. So I just don't know. I mean, like, you know, Mason might be a guy that they, you know, as you said, Spencer just kind of stashed and, you know, maybe Pat Ricard has an injury in week four and you need a fullback to kind of take over that mantle. But it's a really interesting uh, position to me because I feel like Oliver particularly is the only one who could somewhat replicate what Mark Andrews does on a football field out of every single tight end of the right. 57,000 that they have right now. So it feels like that might be something that is very, very intriguing for the Ravens at the cost of that seventh round pick. So I think that's an interesting situation considering that right. and what Andrews does for this team. I mean, Eli Wolf can get vertical, but, uh, and, I, and then everyone, including me, made like a big deal about the the kind of times that he put up at his, at his pro day, which were hand time, which we should point out. But, uh, you know, he, I, he just doesn't have the refinement that, that, that we've seen from Oliver so far, uh, you know, Breland, if he's healthy, uh, could be that guy. But I think it's just it's too far, uh, you know, a long shot at this point. So um, you're right. I mean, I, I think Oliver is so attractive in, in terms of like making these 53 man roster projections because of that exact reason of who else in the middle of the field is going to be an attractive target for Lamar Jackson. 
And that is Lamar Jackson's sweet spot. You know, at this point in his career, he, he, need, he wants and needs people to throw to over the middle. And Josh Oliver could be that, even though he also made a, a handful of good receptions, you know, outside the numbers in minicamp. Um, so at, at this point, unless he's just totally overwhelmed by the prospect of blocking dudes, um, I think he's, you know, pretty clearly the favorite right now to, to be that, you know, third tight end. Right. And closing it out on offense, there's a few different storylines to track with quarterback. So what's your general take on where the Ravens are at quarterback wise? And I think people kind of also undervalue how, how important it is to have good scout team quarterbacks and quarterbacks that are playing up to a level of competition that can make everybody better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. It reminds me of a story I wrote, I think two years ago on RG three, this is getting toward the point in the season where, uh, I think it was before the week 17 game against Pittsburgh where he was you know, finally given a start because there was really nothing to play for. And the great thing about having RG3 was that he had the skill set, not only athletically, but also intellectually, where he could basically be any quarterback you want him to uh, during the course of a scout week. He could be Tom Brady one week. He could be uh, you know, Kyler Burry the, the next week. He could be Baker Mayfield the week after that. And that, I think, is just so important for, for getting the defense primed and ready to play uh, whoever they were going to face that week. When, when you have someone like, uh, you know, when you basically have a dual-threat quarterback, I think you have, uh, you know, a, broad, a broader spectrum of guys that you could emulate because you're not going to ask, you know, you can ask Joe Flacco, uh, let's say if he was still in Baltimore, to pretend to be Kyler Murray. I mean, that's just totally out of their own possibility. And you're not going to have one of your wide receivers kind of do the Lamar Jackson emulation thing and you know try to throw the ball so I don't really know you know who between Tyler Huntley and Trace McSorley might be best served to be that guy that you know the scout team asks to pretend to be the quarterback um so all I can really say is like both of those guys had their moments in minicamp I, I think just in terms of like potential I would probably give the edge to Tyler Huntley he can just he has a stronger arm he also has a bit of a longer wind up which you know might be a problem just in terms of getting the ball out quickly, but I think he's a better runner in the open field. He looks more decisive in the open field. Um, you know, he, he has that chemistry with, with the South Florida guys as a you know, South Florida guy himself. So I would give the edge to him, especially now that Trace McSorley and those dreams of him being a Taysom Hill type guy on special teams have been completely decimated by the realities of what it takes to be a Taysom Hill type player. Yeah, about 25 uh, but, pounds of freaking rock solid muscle away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Trace McSorley, seeing him in the locker room two years ago, uh, he's not really a muscle down guy. <laughs> you know, he, he's a heck of a player. He killed, killed Maryland when he was at Penn state, but he, he does not look like the kind of guy you would expect to see on, on a special teams unit. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see uh, just where those two guys go with the backup competition. Uh, it seemed like, Maybe out of seniority, they were giving Trace the the kind of QB two reps at, at this point, uh, which which I which I totally get um, and, and makes sense. But um, they're gonna the Ravens coaches at this point, I think, would have a tough time deciding between those two guys. And it, it might be you know a total wash because it, it might be that they that they take three quarterbacks on the three man roster. That's been the kind of mo for for John Harbaugh these past couple of years. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think at this point it'd probably be like. 60 40 odds for for Tyler Huntley and that's just my appraisal of it I, not knowing you know how well these guys match the playbook or anything like that but I think in terms of emulating Lamar Jackson 
uh, and what the responsibilities are in that offense, Huntley doesn't matter. Definitely. Um, and switching over to the defense, like there still seems to be, even after the draft, a lot of a lot of worry going around about the pass rush, maybe not having enough juice. Justin Houston is a name that was thrown around a lot before the draft, maybe even a little bit still is. Uh, from what you've seen, is that still kind of a concern in your book? And how is Odafayowe, who kind of figures in as a starter immediately, how is he kind of looking to maybe mitigate those concerns? Yeah, I mean, I, I was actually, just before I got on with you guys, I was kind of doing... Uh, just basically the Ravens position groups ranked by worry. And I think I had the outside linebacker group as the most worrisome, not to say that it is a, an all concerning fear, like, you know, quarterback might be with, with some other teams, but you know, if you, if you go down that depth chart, you're talking about Ty's Bowser, a guy who's more acclaimed for his coverage skills and for his pass rushing ability, Pernell McPhee, you know, a great run stopper, but getting up there in age and doesn't really have a whole lot in his bag pass rush wise. Uh, Jalen Ferguson, you know, we're still waiting to see the evolution of Stack Daddy. Uh, and then Dalen Hayes and, and Oway. I mean, you know, I don't think it's fair to expect, you know, Hayes to come in and play more than like 25 or 30% of the snaps. And with Oway, you know, even though he had all these great marks from, from PFF last year as a run stopper, uh, you know, I don't know yet whether he's going to come in and do enough to unseat you know, Cornell McPhee week one. It's kind of interesting because McPhee definitely got the, the bulk of the reps with the first team defense in minicamp. But if you go back a couple of weeks earlier from, I think what Eric DaCosta said in the Ravens.com interview with, with Ryan Mink and Garrett Downing, he was talking about a way like he did kind of expect him to be a starter week one just because of what he could offer as a run defender. And, and he's great at that. Uh, you know, I, no, no shade in that direction. He's a big, strong guy who can lock out really well, but you know, are you going to throw him to the wolves week one? Uh, if he's a guy who just doesn't have a pass rush plan to, to win against these really seasoned experienced, strong left tackles, you know, it, can he do every, can he you know, kind of master the footwork of stunts and, and twists and that kind of thing better than Pernell McPhee when you're talking about him teaming up with, you know, Matabike and Campbell and guys like that. So uh, he did not blow me away in minicamp, but like I said earlier, it's really tough to come away with wow impressions from edge rushers because of just how often, you know, Wink Martindale is setting the cavalry after these quarterbacks. I mean, it's not a situation where guys are just tearing off the edge. Uh, because for one, they're not allowed to hit the quarterbacks. And number two, a lot of times, you know, in these seven on seven situations, they're not in there at all, or it might be 11 11. And it's just very, very chill, you know, pass rush because it's a situational thing where it's going through the know, motions. Uh, so, yeah. Exactly. To, to really right. hurt, hurt guys and get after it. So, I mean, could they use someone like, like Houston? Absolutely. Uh, but obviously the, the word is that he's asking for, more money than the, what the Ravens are you know, willing to spend. And, um, you know, maybe they'll, they'll, you know, kind of come to a, a happy place where, where all parties are, are, are content. Um, but it, it's just tough to say because so much of his projection and just taking the coaches at their word that you know, someone like Jalen Ferguson is going to make that leap or someone like Adafi Owe can do more than just one thing as a pass rusher um, or Tyus Bowser could be more than just, you know, the, the best coverage outside linebacker in the NFL. Um, so if I were a Ravens fan, if, if the season were starting tomorrow, I'd be worried. But, you know, a lot could happen in the next couple of months. Absolutely. And as far as the young linebackers are going, Patrick Queen has 
really turned into this kind of polarizing figure uh, on the Ravens. And, you know, he's had a lot of splash plays, a lot of uh, errors on his part that he was very vocal about as well with the media. And uh, you know, it, one of the, my favorite clips about Patrick Queen is Joe Hortiz saying last year where he said, Patrick is a guy where we anticipate he would have been a top 10 pick next year and basically just got a, a year in the NFL instead of another year at LSU. And then there's also Malik Harrison, who feels like a rock solid sort of safe, conservative, good inside linebacker. Uh, there's a lot of people who are higher on Malik Harrison and his potential. So what's your take on how those two guys have looked, maybe even more so confidence-wise than anything else? Yeah, I don't think Patrick Queen's ever lacked confidence, uh, at least in terms of, you know, his public persona, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously, you could, you could look at the tape and say, why is he, you know, being hesitant there? The one thing I will say, Spencer, that now that you bring up Joe Ortiz, is I think at one point when they had the, the Ravens, uh, the kind of like powwow where they just basically break down film of their guys to explain why they, they drafted them. At one point, you know, Joe Ortiz was, I think, going through uh, Adafi Owe's tape and there was like a good rep that he had, but that the Penn State linebacker, the Penn State inside linebacker behind him, just totally whiffed on, you know, taking on a guy who's like, and Ortiz, you know, made some remarks to the effect of like, we would never draft a guy like that. <laughs> and then you look at the the, the the Patrick Queen take from last year, which I looked at a lot of just kind of incidentally when I was looking at what Justin Matabike did so well last year. It's like, wow, there are a lot of plays where Joe Ortiz would not have drafted Patrick Queen based right. on the merits of that play. So I don't know, man. I mean, like, He's so athletically gifted and he makes so many splash plays that you could definitely see him emerging into a Devin White type weapon, which is, you know, maybe what his projection would have been had he waited a year to come out and had splash plays at LSU that Devin White did a couple of years, a couple of years earlier. Um, and granted, I did not watch enough Devin White tape to say that he was or wasn't an all pro type player. So I could all like only basically evaluate him based on what PFF said and what the sack said. If you go by the sacks, he was a total impact player. If you look at what PFF said, you know, despite all that, Devin White was still kind of only an above average linebacker. So I don't know. I mean, like I'm, I'm high on Patrick Queen as I think you were, you know, coming out of the draft just because of everything he could do so well athletically. I think what we saw from him in coverage, especially just like one-on-one -on -one against linebackers, uh, it was a small sample size, but it was disappointing. It was encouraging to me that he recognized and owned up to the fact that there were a lot of past plays last year where he just did not do his job straight up. Very simple um, mistakes but, he alluded to. Yeah. Very simple mistakes, just not sitting in your zone and staying there, things like that. Right. So, you know, I think a couple of months ago on Instagram, you know, he, he was putting out clips of him working with a guy, I think down in New Orleans or Louisiana or somewhere uh, near his hometown of him just, you know, working on his drops being in the right place at the right time. Um, and I think, you know, him having a normal offseason to, you know, just inhale the playbook, to inhale all the stuff that he did well, all the stuff he did poorly, should make a big difference for him. Because, uh, you know, for all the things that you can say about Magic Queen, he seems like just a very naturally intelligent guy, great head on his shoulders, um, you know, can run like the wind. I am curious to see what him going from, like, 240-ish pounds to 235 or wherever he says – uh, how that is going to help him or hurt him maybe as a run defender because 
you know, if you struggled as much as he did, kind of taking out blocks, do you really want to be a little bit lighter in the pants? <laughs> lighter in the pants? Uh, I probably wouldn't, but if he feels like it helps him get there a half step or a step quicker, and that makes all the difference, you know, to, to get into that A gap or to get into that B gap, maybe that that does make a difference, and you know, maybe that does him that does help him cut down on the amount of missed tackles that he had last year. So at one point I'm optimistic. At another point I look back at the film and I'm like, well, PFF wasn't all that wrong in, in kind of their, their evaluation of him. He had a really so, rough game against the Patriots and they went yeah, under center yeah, and ran a bunch through. of eye and, and he was just a little bit lost out there and it kind of showed, but down the stretch, you know, he, he was a lot more calm. It's just funny because everyone's always like, you know, rookie linebacker, you got to play fast, you got to play fast. He played way too fast. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, in that New England game, it was also kind of exposing not only some of his limitations, but I think Malik Harrison's as well, because he was just so intent on firing up field and stopping Damian Harris and stopping Cam Newton that he just left acres of space behind him for, for play action. And, uh, you know, at, the, the great guys on, on Ravens Twitter, um, you know, Joshi, I forget his the last couple of digits in his handle, but he, you know, does a great job of charting. I think he basically, he revealed that Malik Harrison basically almost never saw the field on third down. And, you know, he was a guy who at Ohio State could be useful for getting after the pass rusher. But so far with the Ravens, that hasn't, we haven't really seen a whole lot of him being a guy who's, who's flashed, you know, that, that, pressure ability, that ability to, to take down quarterback. So unless he can be a guy who you can trust to, you know, be a third down linebacker in the rare situations where the Ravens are in base defense, having two inside linebackers on, on the field at the same time, it's pretty much just going to be the Patrick Queen show. I mean, he had two and a half, like he had twice, he had more than two times as many snaps as any inside linebacker on the team last year. Uh, and that was with LJ Ford. That was with, you know, Chris Bohr. So, I mean, frankly, the position's fortunes are going to rise and fall with him, barring injury or barring someone else coming off, coming up and knocking him off. So, um, you know, it's fair to talk about other guys in that group, and I'm excited to see what Chris Bohr could do after what we saw from him toward the end of last season. I'm excited to see what LJ Ford does, um, you know, not only with special teams, but, you know, maybe becoming a more productive pass rusher. Excited to see what, what Malik Harrison does with a normal offseason under his booth. Uh, under under his uh, under his hat, but really, I mean, it just all kind of comes down to Patrick Queen at this point. Absolutely, and uh, that linebacking core, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it looks good, but there is some uh, some promise, some potential there at corner. It kind of feels like they're relatively set. I mean, like they come into it with two headlining guys. They have a lot of depth and kind of fringe guys, but as we've seen, I think even last season we saw that a couple injuries can really quickly kind of shake that confidence in the position group and. Have there, in, have there been any, like, down-the-depth chart cornerbacks kind of giving you confidence they'll be okay in a pinch? Like, you have Tavon Young returning from injury for what feels like the third year in a row, and you've got some of these young guys in the mix. They draft Sean Wade. What have you kind of seen from the uh, the bottom of the corner depth chart? Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't, see, didn't see a whole lot from, like, Sean Wade or from Rand Stevens when he, in the rare occasions when he might have lined up a cornerback. I think the guy who was most impressive just because of where we saw him was, was Khalil Dorsey. You know, with, with, with Tavon Young out, we, it was fair to wonder who was going to step up and get those nickel, uh, those nickelback snaps. And it was Dorsey, and he acquitted himself really, really well. Uh, you know, for being an undrafted guy, I think, in Northern Arizona, um, he, he really showed his mettle. Um, 
even someone like Devontae Harris, I mean, uh, completely kind of forgot about him when I was writing up this you know, positional rankings thing, but he had uh, first or second day of minicamp, like two or three pass breakups, uh, just doing a great job locating the ball, being in the right place at the right time, and just stopping completions against, you know, bigger receivers. And, you know, you, I think Next Gen Stats put out a stat uh, just that was a testament to his value. I think he was like top five gunner speed, <laughs> you know, like uh, last year, which, which, which is really impressive to, to me. So uh, it, it is a group that for as high and as you know, for as high as the hopes were last year for them, um, obviously inj- injuries, submarine, so many of those hopes. But if you're just talking about a group that should get better by the fact that Marcus Peters should be healthy, he's a guy who durability really hasn't been a concern over his entire career. If you're talking about Marlon Humphrey getting better by the virtue of the fact that he can go back from slot to outside, whereas his natural position, that's just boom. You know, you're talking about like five, 10% better. Marlon Humphrey is already one of the NFL's best cornerbacks. Tavon Young, we don't know what he's going to be, but I can tell you that like at training camp last year, I don't think anyone, you know, handled Mark Andrews better than Tavon Young in those instances where those two guys were lining up. And I think he had a, like a decent game against Cleveland in week one. I think there might have been a couple situations where like uh, the Cleveland tight end just kind of jump balled him and Tavon Young has only so much you can do as a 5'9", 180 pound guy. So, you know, that's a great top three. And Jimmy Smith, until that midseason injury, was you know one of PFF's top graded cornerbacks uh, outside. Cornerback, great job. The Ravens asked him to match up against Travis Kelsey in the Kansas City game. I think he did a, a pretty good job, all things, all things considered. So, you know, if you're talking about that top of the depth chart, and you haven't even talked about guys like Anthony Averett, who could you know step in in the pinch, Khalil Dorsey, Devonta Harris, Sean Wade. I mean, it's just a super deep group and. The guys who won't, who don't contribute on defense, you imagine, just have physical ability to help out on special teams. So I think it's a group whose competition is only going to make those guys better. And you know, knock on wood, assuming everyone stays healthy, I don't think there's a better you know position group, just uh, a better group of cornerbacks rather in the NFL than you know what the Ravens have. Definitely, maybe one of the strongest rooms of any team at any position in the NFL for sure. Yeah, uh, and one of the players that I think has a introverted personality a little bit, but he provided the quote that I think it was maybe Mink drew out a little bit more uh, is Chuck Clark. And Chuck mm-hmm. Clark made that awesome quote where he was asked about kind of our Darius Washington. And he alluded to the fact that he had been watching the rookie camp tape. And then Mink was like, wait, what'd you say? You were watching the rookie camp tape. And he was like, Oh, well, yeah. Um, so I think it's kind of, gone a little bit less talked about at one point it was a really hot topic where chuck clark took over the mic a couple years ago and since then it feels like he really doesn't get a ton of buzz but he is the real leader of that defense and especially kind of looking at the back seven if you look at it that way so what do you see from him that tells you that's one you know kind of the case or not and where he's at right now and it feels like he's just been quietly ascending as as much as he's played yeah, I mean, I think you can tell that the Ravens respect him and that Ravens PR realizes importance because even though, like, that was a great uh, little little memory there uh, with, 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 with what I, Ryan asked, you know, he is one of the first defensive guys to go up at the podium and talk uh, because, like, who who else 
when Calais Campbell isn't there, uh, you know, which he wasn't for, for part of OTAs, it's going to go out there and basically comport himself with the kind of leadership that 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 um, that you know Chuck Clark does. I mean, he last year wasn't a huge one in terms of splash plays. I think him and Deshaun Elliott combined for like one pick and they pass uh, pass defenses, which isn't a whole lot, you know, especially after what Earl Thomas did the year before. But you know, Earl Thomas is in the NFL for for a lot of reasons. Uh, so I think the Ravens, they like what they have. And Chuck Clark obviously wouldn't have given them that extension a couple of years ago if they didn't see him as being a, a guy, jack, jack of all trades, who can line up in the box, they, you know, basically act as a kind of de facto linebacker in some run-stopping scenarios, but also be a center fielder, um, you know, not with the kind of ideal range that you know you would kind of want as a for a 2021 safety, but could still get the job done, can match up on tight ends, uh, can you know track running back coming out of the backfield? So everything that you would want a Raven safety to do, I think he does it. Um, is he you know ever going to be a guy who makes the Pro Bowl? I would say probably not, unless he just has a kind of couple balls bounce his way and he ends up with five or six picks. But in terms of a guy who just outplays his contract and does everything that we in the media can't really grasp. Uh, you know, who else would you want to have in that position besides Chuck Clark? Absolutely. And the one thing I wanted to ask you that was a little more meta was, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is your fourth year covering the Ravens, Jonas? This will be the fourth year, yeah. Fourth year. Congratulations on that. You've been, I, I've also, I mean, I've read a, probably 85% of your articles over the years, and uh, I, I've watched your football mind grow and where you're taking information from and the things that you have kind of focused on, and it's been a lot of fun. So what I wanted to ask you was, where do you feel the Ravens are confidence-wise as an organization in the AFC and going into this season and where they are kind of looking back to four years ago is an interesting time because it feels like the Ravens have maybe 10 players from when you started that are on their roster, uh, maybe 15, something like that. There's been a massive turnover. And yeah. if you go back just a year prior to that, it, it's like the Ravens have had an entire rebuild quietly and had some winning seasons as well. So where do you think they stand right now? in terms of being a true contender as opposed to where it looks like they kind of were the last couple of years and, and kind of fizzled out and didn't really have the pieces. Do you think this is basically the year where they have it all together more so than before? Uh, that's a good question. It's tough to kind of separate my feelings about what they could do from what they they can do because right. to be honest, just kind of off the top of my head, I don't think they were asked a whole lot of big picture questions. I mean, you know, John Harbaugh said on that last day of minicamp that he feels like they don't really have any any areas of weakness. Not to say that like this team is complete, but it was you know in regards to I think Jameson's question about whether they may might whether they might make any offseason additions like a Justin Houston, and he said he feels like they're pretty much set at every position. I think you could ask, you know, pretty much anyone uh, in the NFL at that coach position, and they might kind of give a, a pat answer because, you know, this is a time for, for good vibes, basically in the offseason. Right. No one's gonna, no one's gonna cop to feeling anything less than, uh, you know, pretty good about their team. But, you know, I think they feel like they should be the AFC North favorites at this point. And if you can win the AFC North at this point, then you should feel pretty good about your chances of just against anyone, honestly. I mean, obviously, you know, we won't have to wait uh, long, just week two, to, to, 
to see that that kind of measuring stick game against Kansas City. If, if they can beat them, <laughs> you know, all, all bets are off in terms of the amount of hype that we're going to see on, you know, get out the, the, the next day or when I fell alive the next day because uh, that has been the thorn in their sides. I don't need to tell Ravens fans that. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting because they have a dynamic player at quarterback in Lamar, of course. But if you were to kind of just sort like the NFL's most important positions, it would probably be, you know, a tackle, and we don't know, you know, how Ronnie Stanley's going to be. After that, you might go with edge rusher. We don't know if they have any proven playmakers. After that, you might go wide receiver, and do the Ravens have, like, a top 20, top 30 receiver in the league at this point? Probably not. And yet, because of how this offense has been arranged, because of the strength of the cornerback position, because of the strength of special teams – consistency that they have on the coaching staff it just feels like they do have so many pieces and so many pieces that other teams just straight up don't have i mean like what other team has a justin tucker what other team has uh you know a an offense that threatens defenses in ways that the ravens uh offense does with with greg roman and that run game uh you know what other teams have uh I don't know, like, you know, a kind of return threat like Devin DuVernay. I mean, you know, he might come back to earth in year two, but to have a kind of game break, we average like 30 yards of return. It was pretty absurd. To he do was that. far and away, the mo- it's underrated how far and away consistently he was getting the ball to the 30 and beyond. Yeah. It, it, was it was really well beyond anyone else in the NFL. Kicks and punts too when he took those over. Absolutely. Right. And, and just, you know, and, and even going beyond the roster, like all, all the ways that, especially in that 2019 season, the ways that they worked at the margins to to be more efficient than other teams by, by going forward on, on fourth down, by trying to go for two points when, when it made sense in the, in the context of the game flow. So, you know, there are so many things, you know, just to kind of circle back, that they don't have that you would necessitate a Super Bowl contender having but then again, I mean, we're like two years removed from the San Francisco 49ers being one play away from winning the Super Bowl, basically. And I don't know, you know, if you kind of substitute the Ravens' cornerback strength being the 49ers, you know, front seven strength or front four strength, you know, specifically, I don't really know if there's that many material differences just in terms of like how those teams went about their business. And I don't think a team like the Ravens, despite being as run heavy as they are, that can't be a disqualifying factor at this point in the NFL for, for how a, uh, for how a team can win games. Obviously they, I think, but it's two years in a row now that they've had the NFL's biggest point differential. So I think you combine all that, you combine the fact that they're having a normal off season, you combine the fact that Lamar finally looked like he was comfortable throwing outside the numbers in mini camp. And you mentioned the continuity. This is um, it might be unprecedented for the Ravens to have offensive and defensive coordinators both for this long as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and even you know special teams with with uh, with with Chris Horton there. You know he right. was basically uh, you know Jerry. Uh, you know he was the, the deputy there for, for for a long long time. So you know it's easy for me to say like you know why not? What why couldn't they be? the AFC's best, best team, and, and they might end up being that, that way. Um, you know, at this point in the offseason, you, you 
especially coming off as strong in practice as they did in that second day of minicamp. It's easy to be, you know, starry-eyed and blue-skied and, and all that kind of thing. But, I mean, it doesn't take long for the realities of the NFL and injuries and one bad game for the Ravens to confront uh, all the weaknesses that they have and for, for me to do it with them. So um, I think they feel pretty good about, about where they are. I certainly would. Um, the most important position in sports is quarterback, and the Ravens have a pretty good one in Lamar. And he's still younger than Joe Burrow. For as long as he plays, he will be younger than Joe Burrow. Uh, <laughs> People don't so, talk about that. Yeah, right. Uh, so I, I feel good about about where they are, but I think I'm probably an optimist by nature compared to someone like my good friend Mike Preston. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love Mike, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's well put. And I think one thing that we also kind of like that I think we talked about this last week maybe is kind of feels like they're flying under the radar a little bit. You know, it feels like every you know you mentioned like first take and all those shows. It's like the talking point is like, oh, coming up next, why Cleveland is the favorite in the AFC North, and it just kind of feels like. Buffalo just kind of naturally leapfrogged them. I think for some good reasons for that number two spot, Kansas City, obviously number one, but they're just kind of quietly going about their business right now, which I think compared to all the Super Bowl talk of the last, you know, couple off seasons or whatever it might be with Lamar, I think kind of just getting that contract with him done and dusted and getting everything, everything ready for the regular season is going to be crucial, but uh, great answer on that. And uh, we'll close you out with, uh, you know, with what you've seen so far, what is kind of one storyline that you think isn't being talked about enough as training camp is kind of on the horizon here? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think, I think the all the ramifications of this Lamar Jackson contract situation are just endlessly fascinating to me, at least. Uh, I think you know, uh, you know, Mike Florio pointed out just, uh, and other people have have as well that with Lamar not retaining representation, he basically doesn't have a buffer with you know Eric DaCosta and the Ravens negotiators who are going to be telling him we think you're worth this much. And Lamar says, no, I think I'm worth this much. We just don't know, you know, what I would be, what I would be able to be on the fly on the wall of those discussions. It is just the, the mind wanders uh, with, with, with the kind of infinite possibilities of what might be happening, you know, this during this kind of off season hiatus. Um, because it seems like, you know, the smoke signals out of Baltimore that, you know, the deal could get done before training camp or before the season starts and just kind of on a bigger picture, Look than that, like how much are Buffalo and Cleveland with Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield waiting to see whether a deal might get done because of the fact that the indications are that a deal will get done. And, you know, could what the Ravens do with Lamar, how much of a ripple effect will that have in Cleveland? How much of a ripple effect will that have in Buffalo? Because, you know, let's say Lamar gets a deal below what, you know, we kind of consider market rate for Lamar, which is like $40 million a year. Let's say he gets like 35 because of, I don't know, whatever. Does Buffalo use, does, you know, Brandon Bean use that to his advantage? Does the agent for Josh Allen say like, well, you can't point to that as a, as a reasonable benchmark because Lamar wasn't retaining representation. He didn't have a normal agent. Right. Uh, you know, does, 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 does Cleveland uh, and Baker Mayfield's agent say the exact same thing? Uh, I mean, I, I think at this point, you know, Baker has probably the least leverage of those three guys just because he's playing behind the NFL's best offensive line. He still wasn't all that great last year, if we're, if we're being honest. So it is uh, just really, really intriguing to me how many dominoes could fall with Lamar 
uh, depending on all that. Like, is whoever signs first going to be the lowest paid guy? And then Josh Allen's going to go, oh, well, I want more than Lamar. And is it vice versa? Does Lamar say, I want more than Josh Allen? Right, right. And, you know, it it is just that that age-old battle between past performance and potential and projection and that kind of thing because – Lamar's the MVP. He's the only guy of those three who has an MVP award in his trophy case. But Josh Allen is also coming off a season where he, you know, broke all kinds of records, you know, was more accurate than Lamar has ever been in the NFL or in college. Uh, He obviously has the kind of skill set that pays for itself. You know, Lamar obviously has his own kind of skill set that makes like so much easier for, for, for everyone on the offense, but Josh Allen has, has the golden arm. Uh, Baker Mayfield has the, the number one draft pick and uh, you know, he has the the honor and, and the privilege of being the guy who finally took Cleveland back to the, the postseason. So, you know, it is just this, this game of, of one upsmanship, as you pointed out, Spencer, we just don't know how things are going to shake out, but if, if being the last guy to sign is going to, make you two or three million dollars more a year than the other guys when you want to be the guy holding out especially because both of these guys futures are secured through what 2022 or all three of these guys futures are secured through 2022 uh it, it's just this could go in so many different ways and i just don't know you know who's going to fall first basically definitely well it's uh it's going to be fascinating to watch we know you're going to be following it intensely uh, as are we, and we're going to be following your analysis on it as well. Thanks a ton for joining us, buddy. Uh, hope of an hour with uh, us two dummies wasn't too much for you. I hope <laughs> you had uh, had some fun, got to uh, chop up your job in a way that you don't always get to. Uh, really appreciate it. Why don't you go ahead and uh, plug your stuff uh, for all our listeners? I'm sure a lot of them are already familiar, but for anyone who isn't, where can they find you in your work? Yeah, just uh, Twitter.com, uh, Jonas underscore Schaefer, J-O-N-A-S, like the Jonas Brothers, and then Schaefer, uh, S-H-A. FFER. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, you know, follow uh, Ravens Insider on Twitter, read our stuff at Baltimore Sun. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a bit of a, a dead period for content because all the guys are scattered to the winds and we don't have a whole lot to do until training camp. But I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of good stuff on the Lamar contract situation and uh, just all the various hypotheticals that we kind of wonder about during these uh, five or six weeks where not a whole lot's going on. Definitely. Well, thanks again. You have yourself a uh, a great night, a great rest of your week and weekend, and hopefully we'll do this again real soon, okay? Enjoy Appreciate yourself guys. while you got this little lull time, too. Get, get some R&R because yeah, it's going to exactly. be a yeah. busy season. Might have some time to go get a haircut. Imagine there you that. go. There you go. Exactly. All right, man. Later. All right, guys. Take care. Bye. Gorlami. Gorlami. Arrivederci. 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 Arrivederci.